Hi, you're listening to your Route to Wellbeing podcast. This podcast shares strategies, insights, nuggets, and tools to inspire and support you as you step boldly towards creating the well-being that you desire and deserve. Each week, I share insights and inspiration from different people who have expertise across one or more of the 11 domains of well-being. Each one of the guests that I've chosen to talk to have found the clues through their lives and experiences, through their careers and their knowledge, that I want you to have access to. My big question is how can we all pulse with energy and truly live while we're alive? I believe that these people that I'm talking to have some of the crucial answers. So relax, listen up, and thank you for tuning in. Please remember to leave us a review and also to share this podcast with anyone in your network who you think it may help. Hi, I'm Sue Fullergood from the Energy Incubator, and it is really exciting to have John Patricius, Professor John Patricius, with us tonight. And I am really excited to download some of his brilliance out of his head and into all of our ears so that we can use his pearls of wisdom to help us on our route to well-being. So thank you for being here, John. It is really a treat to have you. And I want to say that I have known John for about as long as I can remember. That sounds terrible to say, but my whole career. We won't give away how long to. (laughs) We won't. But uh, just about my whole career, you've been uh, one of those um, people that have always been there, always been um, available to learn from, always been available to bring patients to and ask for advice and uh, send patients to and your expertise has always been most welcomed and most helpful so thank you for always being that and i've I've actually uh, been to see you a few times as a patient so i can vouch for your expertise personally and um so without further ado i'd really love to ask you john to just share with us a little bit about your career path and what made you um take the choices that you did and move into the sports medicine arena uh, good evening, Sue, and uh, thank you very much for having me. I think, uh, you know, you downplay your role in this field. You've been a stalwart for many years as well. So it's a great pleasure to be on this uh, podcast and to talk to an issue that I think we're both very passionate about, and that is the role of exercise in our lives as humans and the importance of exercise and sport uh, in promoting health and, and physical and mental well-being. I think that's critical. And I think that's probably what was attractive to me about exploring sport and exercise medicine. So when I undertook to study further after my medical degree, it was something of a gamble, I suppose, because there wasn't really a developed field and established specialty in sport and exercise medicine. And I looked for an opportunity overseas to go and study. And I was very fortunate in being able to find a course that I could do. And uh, it really sparked in me uh, the idea that, you know, we're trained as doctors to treat illnesses. But what if we could be in a situation where we could either prevent a lot of those illnesses occurring or actually use something other than medicines to treat them. 
And, and that is really what exercises uh, is great for. And there's this uh, maxim that exercise is medicine. And, and that's really what uh, attracts me to the field. Uh, a lot of people think it's all about the, the, the elite sports stars, but there's so much more to sport and exercise medicine than that. And every day I'm learning how powerful exercise is as a tool, regular physical activity. And I just enjoy working with the type of people that want to incorporate exercise into their lives. So if I had to summarize the work that I do, it is so broad, but the common denominator is exercise. I see people who are exercising, who want to exercise or should be exercising. And so for me, it's a, it's a wonderful field to work in because generally those people are quite motivated. And uh, you know, like you, they want to really make a difference in, in their lives. Brilliant. Well, thank you for that. And I know now that you are um, a professor um, at WITS in, the, um, in charge of the sports medicine department. Is that right to say? We have a, we've established a research group there called uh, WITS Sport and Health which is aimed at elevating the research in the university in sport and exercise medicine. And the aim is to grow it into a department and a facility that can train sport and exercise medicine specialists and also train undergraduates and postgraduates in the field of sport and exercise medicine in a range of disciplines, including things like physiotherapy and biokinetics. So, it's a great opportunity and an exciting time for the field. So lots of lots of challenges ahead. Awesome. So um, education is is top of the pops for you. It's really something you've devoted a lot of your time time to, and uh, it's been a big part of your career. Well, you don't get to be a professor unless you're interested in education and um, and academia. But I know you've written a whole lot of papers, and a lot of them have been in. Uh, exercise and uh, I know you've also published a lot of papers about concussion and um, do you want to just share with us a little bit about your interest in concussion? Yes I, uh, I was a, a rugby doctor at one stage I looked after professional rugby teams for 10 years and certainly in the mid to late 1990s one of the things that troubled me was that we didn't have good protocols to treat head injuries and concussion. Now, one of the difficulties with concussion, as I put it, is that there's no visible wound. So you can't see the injury and even fairly sophisticated scans don't show us what's going on in the brain. And so we need really good clinical acumen to be able to discern what has happened to that athlete's brain. So, I started looking into this and working with colleagues in South Africa and around the world to try and evolve some of our protocols, which we instituted at that level at, at professional level, particularly in sports such as rugby. Uh, but what troubled me more than anything was actually what was happening at youth level and in schools where they didn't have that medical support. So we put together a series of protocols, guidelines, and educational programs under the, the banner of Sports Concussion South Africa, which really guided schools as to how to educate 
their children in what might be happening to their brains if it took a knock, and also bringing into the fold the coaches, referees, and parents. And with SA Rugby, uh, we evolved this program called BoxSmart, which was an educational and intervention program, which eventually became world-recognized thanks to the work of people like Dr. Wayne Fulgun in Cape Town, who elevated it to a really world-class interventional program. And then from there, I got involved with international collaborative groups, the Concussion in Sports Group, and the Concussion Consensus Process, which has evolved into its sixth iteration, where we really evaluate all the science around sport-related concussion and put together updated protocols every four years, which we just published a month ago, actually. So that, that's certainly a very interesting area of my research, but probably a little bit of a diversion in terms of your show. But another area that we're increasingly publishing in is the area of physical activity. And together with uh, the Center for Sport and Exercise Medicine, uh, the department at WITS, who has some excellent researchers, uh, such as Dr. Georgia Torres, who really have a focus in this area, We've published some really good work which reaffirms the value of exercise as a tool in uh, disease and in disease prevention. And some of those, those areas are areas that people might not think of. Uh, we're busy at the moment analyzing data with discovery on their patients who have cancer and looking at the preventative the power of regular physical activity in reducing cancer incidence. And now we're looking at a study that looks at those patients that have cancer and how being physically active diminishes the progression of that cancer. Uh, and actually your outcomes are much better if you exercise regularly. So that's, that's an area that's becoming really a, a key focus area. Now, you can imagine why. If you think of something, something like cancer, it is obviously a, a diagnosis that no one wants to receive and potentially has devastating outcomes. The cost of the cancer in every respect can be massive in terms of uh, the, the, the personal cost, the health cost, the cost to your family, and the financial burden, particularly in terms of some of the medications. So if we have a tool that we can utilize that helps reduce the impact of the disease and the cost, this really is a no-brainer that we should be advocating for this. And it's a win-win it's a situation, everybody wins. So the, the patient wins, uh, the medical team wins, the insurers win because they're less out of pocket. And it's something that has really been underplayed for a long, long time. I think we've, we've appreciated can, uh, exercise, physical activity in terms of an intervention in things like cardiac disease, you know, preventing uh, high cholesterol, blood pressure, all that sort of thing. But there is not an area of our lives that regular physical activity and healthy lifestyle choices doesn't actually have an impact. And so it's really, really good to be uh, part of this, this research uh, we're also collaborating internationally. Um, quite, quite a fascinating and I think very impactful area. It is absolutely amazing how many 
systems of your body benefit from exercise and how um, little exercise is actually required to make a big difference. I think a lot of people feel totally overwhelmed by the idea that they have to go and run the comrades in order to exercise enough to look after their health. And really, it is very, very little compared with that that's required. Can you um, talk a little bit about how much exercise is the right amount? I mean, the ideal amount to get started. Oh, absolutely. With. So the guidelines uh, from the World Health Organization recently updated are that you need 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise. So that means exercise where you're a little bit out of breath, but you're not exhausted. And if you think about that, I mean, that's five 30-minute sessions a week. Um, and if you're doing light exercise, so walking where you're able to have a conversation with somebody, that, that should be probably up to 300 minutes a week. So 150 to 300 minutes, 30 to 45 minutes a day, really, is what is required. Interestingly, an area that's uh, coming to the fore, two areas, actually, is firstly the additive effect of exercise. So there's increasing research that shows you don't have to do the 45 minutes in one go, that as long as you're active, you know, 10 minutes here, 15 minutes here, even, you know, if you have a really pressured day and you only have those 15 minutes to go for a walk or walk up and down the stairs or whatever it might be, those cumulative effects are significant. They're telling, they reduce your risks. And that's, you know, that's important. The other area that's coming to the fore increasingly is the importance of resistance exercise, so some strength training. And the new guidelines say that at least twice a week you should do exercise that stresses your muscles from a strength point of view. Now, that doesn't mean you have to lift weights, but it might mean some, you know, some precepts, body weight exercises, etc. And that's shown over the years to have had benefits on things like bone density, which particularly for women, is important. But increasingly, strength training is being shown to have the same effects from an overall health point of view as cardiovascular training. So the ideal is really to combine the two. So if you can have a hybrid of uh, some strength training and cardiovascular training, that's ideal. There's some very interesting research, but the, the take-home message is it really should be like brushing your teeth. It's just part of your routine. You do it every day. You know, my children laugh at me because I, I have a, a saying, make your day harder. So you, you just got to think about trying to bring physical activity or a little bit of exercise into anything that you do. Uh, and if you have a sedentary job, then make sure you can somehow break that routine by getting up, walking around, um, doing some light resistance exercises, walking up and down stairs, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Just make it a very conscious thing, certainly in the beginning, and ultimately it will become second nature and the benefits will flow. It is amazing how we have set about making our lives easier in every possible way. So our remote gates, our remote garages, our TV remotes, you know, wishy-washies to wash our cars and washing machines to wash our clothes. So everything that was physical in our lives, we now don't do. And then we wonder why we um, are so stressed and, and actually have no downtime. Because I think 
um, doing those kind of physical activities actually brings us some downtime in our minds and mental lives as well. So, yeah, now that we've got gate remotes and whatever, we can <laughs> go to gym to push weights instead of and pushing And that's a very good point. You mentioned mental lives. So I've stressed the physical benefits of exercise, but the, the effects of exercise and regular physical activity on mental health are absolutely huge. Those people that have regular physical activity as part of their lives have better mental health. They suffer less from depression and anxiety. And exercise is, again, a very powerful intervention in people who suffer from depression and anxiety. And I think we probably underestimate and, and have for years stigmatized mental health. But, you know, the way I, the analogy I use is exactly like hypertension, like high blood pressure. Some people have it. Some people are predisposed to it. Some people have the genetics, which unfortunately you know, lead to them having those conditions and we can intervene, we can treat them. Uh, and one of the ways of treating most effectively is with regular physical activity. Uh, so, so that's important. We also know that particularly for children, uh, children that exercise regularly do better cognitively. They concentrate better, they perform better in the classroom. And then the final aspect is obviously the social aspect. From a, from a social point of view, particularly interactive and team sports can be of huge benefit. And that again, combines the physical, mental and social benefits of, of a single intervention. There are not many drugs that can achieve that and at, at nearly zero cost. Exactly. So, you know, if you said to someone, I have this fantastic drug that actually will treat blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, uh, mental health, and actually make you concentrate better and just make you feel better all around. You know, people would pay a lot of money for it and it's available to us. So it's just something that people need to think about and build into their routine until it becomes non-negotiable and they, they'll soon find they don't really want to do without it. Mm -hmm. I think it's sometimes counterintuitive, John, and, and maybe you can talk to this a little bit, when you are feeling depressed or anxious, or, or maybe you've got pain or some other physical condition, that you don't feel like exercising. And so uh, you, you, you feel like it would be better for you to lie on the couch or jump into bed or whatever. And I think that's something that stops a lot of people. They're almost afraid that um, it won't be good for them to go. So, uh, yeah, can you talk a little to I that? Think, I think you're right. Uh, and uh, perhaps it's just the way that we have, have been taught or we've been sort of wired to think about physical activity, that it's something that has to be strenuous or it has to be formalized or it has to be planned. And perhaps if you're, a cynic, if you're a cynic, you can say that we've also been conditioned by uh, you know, marketing and pharmaceutical industry to think that the, a pill is a solution to everything. Uh, and and, and I, I think back to our medical training, we had very little training on utilization of physical activity next to zero. And it should really be central to every medical student, physiotherapy student, anyone involved in that industry's curriculum. And so I, I really blame our training and our conditioning over years 
But the research now is irrefutable across the spectrum that I've mentioned. So to not incorporate exercise is really, really a wasted opportunity. And for those people, as you've mentioned, who don't make that connection, the only thing I can suggest is to find something that they like being involved in. And there's so many different forms of activity now. You, you just look at the number of people who've never picked up a tennis racket and are now playing paddle, uh, who have taken it up three times a week with such exuberance that they're injuring themselves to know that there's there's lots of activities out there that that one can become involved in uh, and it doesn't have to be as you say the comrades marathon there are so many opportunities for people just to do a little bit of exercise start at a low intensity and and with a little time and build it up um, and the evidence will be there. They will soon realize that they actually feel considerably better. The other aspect of being sedentary and lying down to try and get over your troubles, honestly, apart from the physiological effect of, of uh, being detrimental, will actually just allow people to wallow in their, their problems and, and not feel any better. Um, so the science is there. People just need to broach it initially and they will feel the benefits. I think one of the things that uh, people need to remember is that if you can make it fun for yourself, um, it's, it's much easier to start and it's much easier to keep it going. So if it's to meet a friend for, for a walk instead of a coffee or to join a Zumba class if that's fun for you or go to yoga, whatever it is, there's just so many uh, opportunities to, to get your body moving. It and absolutely is. And, and then it will become something that you don't want to do without. Uh, so for me, I happen to like the exercise early in the morning and uh, it gets my day going and it's a marker for me to start the day. And even if you're very busy, in fact, if particularly if you're very busy, it's often the only time you have to yourself where you know, you're not answerable to people, the phone is away, the emails are not flowing in or you don't give attention to them. And it's a really good time to dedicate to yourself. So uh, people need to find that, that exercise that will be attractive to them and to get it going. They won't want to let it go. And uh, I, I think the benefit about doing it in the first thing in the morning is nothing can get in your way because, you know, no one's going to steal that time from you. It's yours. Correct. And then, you know, <laughs> late in the day, certainly I find something always crops up or meeting exactly. runs late or you're running late with a patient or a family needs you. So, yeah, I, I certainly think that's the case. But also physiologically, if you can elevate your metabolism early in the morning, you know, it's going to stay elevated for longer periods in the day. If you if you have a reasonably sedentary day and then try and exercise, have dinner and go to bed, then you, you'll lose some of those benefits physiologically. So it probably is better to exercise in the morning, but wherever you can fit it in is beneficial. And don't forget those little bits in between. You know, there is some research uh, which I saw at the American College of Sports Medicine, which said that even if you exercise your 30 or 45 minutes a day and the rest of your day is sedentary, you do lose some of those gains. If you can remain reasonably active, you know, be at five minutes during every hour, then you certainly increase the effects of that regular exercise. So just being up and about is, is, um, is very important. And in terms of explaining that, I think back to, 
our days, you know, as as cave people, we our physiology hasn't really changed. So those those people 300, 400,000 years ago uh, had to actually move. Otherwise, they didn't have food or they were eaten. So, you know, it's really, we're, we're really wired to move. That's the reality. We're not wired to sit at a desk. And I think we'll get on to discussing a little bit about other healthy habits like, like uh, food choices as well. And the same applies, in my opinion, is that there were certain foods available in terms of vegetables and fruits and grains and um, lean meats that I think formed the basis of a healthy diet that sustained those people and gave them their energy and allowed uh, some degree of longevity. Uh, and we've forgotten that now in the era of processed foods and the choices have become too many and have become really poor in many respects. So I just think going back to you know, who we were originally as physiological beings helps solve a lot of problems. Mm. Uh, can you talk a little bit about diet, John? I think one of the things that makes uh, food choices really hard is there's so much information about what you should and shouldn't have and should you be intermittent fasting or should you be staying off carbohydrates and banting? What is your opinion and how can you help listeners to, to make the right choice for their body? So I, I try and be very simplistic about it and as I say go back to original physiology and what foods were available to us and and try and make it as simple as that. So there are a few important principles. So the first thing is that anything processed has probably got things in it that aren't good for you. Uh, you know, that might be uh, preservatives, it might be higher glycemic carbohydrates, it might be all sorts of things which are too much salt. So trying to eat as many natural products as possible, unprocessed food, I think is important. The other thing is that we eat too much. Uh, we eat because for many of us who are in a fortunate position, there's food available. And I see now a little uh, email before this meeting, you spoke a little bit about COVID and what happened to people. People that during COVID at home were too close to the fridge. You know, that's what happened. And so they ate too much. And that's the reality. So we do eat too much. So whether you believe it's intermittent fasting you should be following, or you call it just uh, something else, uh, I think that you should eat less. If you eat less uh, and smaller quantities of the right foods, you won't pick up a lot of weight at all. So uh, I don't think we need to eat five times a day at all. Um, I think we, you know, we, we really eat far more it will take in far more energy than we expend and eating you know, for most people twice, three times a day at the most is, is plenty and eating less of the right foods. So that's for me as simple as it gets. And I, I don't like the word diet. I like eating pattern. It's a pattern. It's a routine. Uh, it's a routine in terms of your food choices, healthy, unprocessed, more natural products. And it's a routine in terms of uh, eating smaller amounts uh, you know, a couple of times a day. So whether you choose to do that within eight hours and fast you know, for, for 16 hours or 12 hours apart or uh, three times a day and smaller quantities, I think it's fine. I don't think people need to be prescriptive. I think 
following those broad principles really will be all that you need. And I'm also not a great fan of, you know, testing for this and genetic testing and blood testing. I really like to stick to the basics, not overcomplicated. Just use, uh, you know, eat smaller quantities of the right foods uh, and I think you're going to be fine. I think there's so much wisdom in that and and I think one of the problems in in uh, our modern society is that so much of our entertainment and pleasure comes from food and and I think there's so much other pleasure and entertainment available partly through exercise partly through um the, you know using the other senses of the body and and it's such a pity that so much of of the pleasure that we get comes from food and uh it does lead us to eat too much and i think that's, I think that's partly right but I, there's nothing wrong with going out for a nice meal you know and a couple of glasses of wine you just don't have to do it every day uh and it should be the the treat that it's meant to be and doesn't mean that you can't have uh, some bad food choices every now and again because it's nice but i'm talking about the routine what you do most of the time on most days uh, should really be in a routine making those good choices and then it will allow you to go out and uh, you know have that odd dessert which you wouldn't normally eat and maybe you know five or six day a week rule and and every now and again breaking it is fine um and you know also don't downplay the social aspects of uh, you know entertainment and food etc but that is probably the exception and not the rule and the other thing of course is that it doesn't mean because you're in an entertaining environment you can't make good choices there are lots of good food choices available in your house when you're entertaining with your family when you're eating together and even at restaurants there's plenty of food choices that you can make that that allow you to combine the social aspects with a healthy lifestyle and of course being in a social environment is good for your mental health anyway so you've just got to have an awareness and you look at the menu you can make those those choices which come from those principles that we've spoken about in terms of more uh, organic type of natural foods which uh, you know, taste good and I believe once you develop a taste for those foods, you, you often don't really seek out those sort of sweeter, higher fat options. So, you know, it's, it's really a question of making the right choices most of the time. I think, well, I've just written a book on the, called The Sweet Spot. And I do think it's about finding that sweet spot. Moderation of, is key. Yeah. Correct. So how do you think people can get started, John? Sometimes I think people don't start because it's overwhelming. It feels like such a big project they postpone it for tomorrow and procrastinate taking that first step. Have you got some suggestions about that? Well, the first step is a good way of putting it. And I think it's exactly about doing that. I think it's about starting small and building up and finding what you're able to cope with and feeling the benefits. You, at some stage, there needs to be a degree of responsibility. It's not just going to happen by itself. So people have to think about it, understand what they're trying to do in terms of their lifestyle, and then set about doing it. Now, sometimes, unfortunately, that happens after a shock, an illness to themselves or a family member, 
you know, or a visit to the doctor with a diagnosis they weren't expecting and then trying to intervene. But on the basis of our discussion in the last 20 minutes and the power of, of physical activity, uh, they should really think about it and start, uh, you know, start intervening. So those food choices is an important thing that, that we, we, most of us have some control over. And then from an exercise point of view, just to understand that exposing your body to regular physical activity is about adapting to what is the stress of physical activity and allowing your body to make those physiological changes, which will make you a healthier person. Now, if you're really unfit, perhaps carrying extra weight and feeling as if you don't have the energy, then literally small amounts will make a difference. Now, the point we made earlier about those 10 minute bursts might be especially applicable to that group. And maybe just setting about with 10 or 15 minutes of walking or stationary cycling or whatever you can do uh, once a day is, uh, is the way to start. But things don't just happen. So you have to think about it and you have to take some degree of responsibility and make a decision. Uh, you know, and I think that's, that's important. Now, we, I'm sure, both have patients who come to us with various ailments and we know that underlying it is poor conditioning, carrying too much weight and not being physically active enough. And they're seeking a manipulation or an injection or a prescription that will resolve that, whereas actually the right lifestyle choices is the correct place to start. So I'm not going to uh, you know, dilute the fact that some degree of personal responsibility is very, very important. But the information is out there and people know that. People equally know that smoking is not good for you. They also know that physical activity is. So if you're not prepared to take on that responsibility of incorporating physical activity and good food choices into your lifestyle, then you will suffer the consequences. You know, and uh, you, can, you can educate people and push them so far, but ultimately they need to make that decision. And if you made decision, bad decisions for much of your life, it's never too late to change. And that might just be with a 10 minute allocation of time to start doing some physical activity. And as you said, finding something that will allow you to cope. Sometimes taking something on too ambitious. So, you know, you don't want to join the tennis club because it means 30, 45 minutes and you're not up to it. So taking that personal responsibility to intervene and start on your own or with a group who's equally unfit might be the way to do it um, or with a trainer that will help you very slowly to build up but there's no harm in building up slowly doing something is better than doing nothing but making that conscious choice is very necessary I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, sometimes people are looking for an instant gratification they want a magic one that can give them the solution immediately and therefore they take diet pills or they take, um, you know, medication rather than, than the slow, steady stepping towards better well-being. And, and Quite I think right. That... Quite right. Um, the other side of it, of course, and just to warn people about being over-exuberant, is that exercise is absolutely beneficial in protecting your health. 
But if you are going to have an event, particularly a cardiac event, and I'm talking like a heart attack, uh, and you're not conditioned, it, it's more likely to happen when you are exercising. So just make sure that you build up slowly. If you are 40 or over, and particularly if you have a family history of any heart disease, strokes, any chronic medical condition, diabetes, blood pressure, it is advisable to see your doctor and just make sure that everything is in place for you to start doing an exercise program. You don't want to start a resistance training program if you have very high blood pressure. You want to be careful that you, know, you don't have a family history of early death from cardiac disease and embark on uh, some sort of moderately high intense program, which might place your heart at risk. So just in your thought process, as we mentioned, it has to be a conscious decision. As part of that conscious decision at the beginning, it must be, what is my risk? You know, oh, I'm 30, I have you know, no family history of any cardiac disease. Um, I, you know, I'm not really that much overweight. So I could lose a couple of kilos, then it's fine. You can start embarking on a program. But if you're 45 and you had both parents who had a heart disease uh, when they were, you know, in their 40s and you've smoked for 15 years, um, then, you know, I'd suggest that you get some medical advice in terms of your suitability for, um, for more intense exercise in particular. Mm. I think that's very wise. And um, are they, you know, can you talk a little bit about the risks of getting uh, injured um, and how, what you can do to mitigate those risks? So exercise and the benefits of exercise come with adaptation. So it's an adaptation to what is a physical stress, physical activity, and it's a very positive effect. Injury is a failure to adapt. So injury really can be divided into two broad groups. One is acute or traumatic injury, which is, for instance, the hamstring that tears or the ligament that snaps or the tendon, the Achilles that, uh, you know, tears as a result of overexposure. Uh, and the other group of injuries is overuse injuries from doing you know, too much of the same activity too often. And as we get, uh, as we, go through various age groups, we are predisposed to different sorts of injury. So the young growing child may have, for instance, growth plate uh, injury because they're growing parts of their bone or weak. The 20 year old who's strong and exercising exuberantly will potentially more likely tear her or his hamstring or other muscles. The middle-aged person whose tendons, uh, blood supply is deteriorating will have tennis elbow and golfer's elbow and Achilles tendon problems, etc. And as we get older, our bones become fragile and we might be at risk of, of fractures. So those sort of uh, age-related uh, processes are part of life. But essentially, allowing for adaptation is really what will help you prevent injury. So that means that you expose yourself to small amounts of exercise at uh, inc incremental in intensities. You don't go too hard, too fast, too soon. And the second thing is that you allow for recovery. 
So you don't exercise at a high intensity the same way every single day. You may have days that are harder. You may have days where you exercise for longer and lighter. You may have days where you do other things like just stretching or some yoga to, to allow for recovery of those other areas. And this is something that scientifically is called periodization. You break your training into periods of higher and lower intensity. You incorporate rest. And people are always surprised to hear this, but you get fitter while you're resting, not while you're exercising. Exercising is the stress, and then the recovery periods allow you to make the physiological adaptations to become more endurance fit, uh, stronger, more flexible, etc. So it's a process, but generally if you start slowly and you build up in small increments, perhaps something like 10% every week or two weeks, then you're unlikely to become injured. <clears throat> the other aspect is warming up, particularly as you get older. We often want to rush into an exercise routine. And I think this is partly responsible for the flurry of paddle injuries is that many people just grab the bat and get onto the court. And particularly as you get older, as part of that adaptation to exercise, you need to just gradually warm the muscles up and stretch them out for 10 minutes just to allow the body to adapt to what's coming up. And, and I think uh, you've touched on it, John, but uh, in addition to all that wisdom that you've imparted to us, I think variety is, is also important. You, you don't, you know, I mean, when I first started training for comrades, I didn't know any better and I literally just ran 10Ks every day at the same pace in the same time in the same way. I didn't know anything about variety, but I think uh, variety is key. You've touched on it, but um, maybe you can say a little bit more about so it. So variety is a key in two areas. So one is that you need to expose your body to different stresses and gain the benefits of different forms of exercise. I spoke right in the beginning about the science now showing how beneficial resistance training is. So you'd not only need to be cardiovascularly fit, but when you're 70 years of age, you want to be able to get up and down stairs and out of chairs, etc. So you need to have that strength as well. And the sooner you start developing that, the better. And then you know, a degree of flexibility is also important. So there are different aspects of strength, that, uh, of sorry, fitness that you need to uh, attain and maintain. And then in terms of recovery, one needs that variety as well. So by doing, uh, you know, some speed work one day and then a little bit of a slower endurance work the next, you allow different energy systems to be employed and to adapt and to recover during their rest period. And it also becomes more interesting if you're doing the same thing every day mentally, it's not as stimulating. If you give it some thought and vary it, it really does become much more worthwhile. And again, there's got to be a conscious aspect to this process. It doesn't just happen. And if you're feeling sore or tired or stiff, uh, then perhaps something needs to change. Uh, and then some recovery is required, maybe even some professional advice. But for the most part, it's common sense, but variety is an important part of that. And you've, you've talked a lot about uh, uh, rest. Uh, can you share with us your thoughts about sleep being uh, absolutely imperative to, to a healthy yeah, So you're talking to one of the world's great insomniacs, and I just wish I could have more sleep because I know the benefits of it. So last night, 
uh, I really had a good night's sleep and today I feel the benefits of it. So sleep is so critical for recovery, uh, both physical and mental, and to allow those adaptations to take place uh, and to allow your brain to recover. Uh, we know that people who go without sleep, as, as much as sometimes we wear it as a bad, badge of honor, which we really shouldn't, don't recover well. And you know, some of the research around dementia is really showing that a, a significant amount of it is due to lack of recovery and, and sleep. So it's certainly one of the aspects that permeates into our lives if we don't allow for it. And it will build up higher levels of stress. So just like exercise is important regularly, so is a good amount of sleep. You know, how much varies from individual to individual, but I'd probably say most people should aim for at least seven hours uh, on most nights. Eight hours would be great. Nine hours is fantastic. But it's also the quality of sleep. You know, that's important. And there's certain things which interfere with the quality of your sleep. Obviously, stress is one of them when you have things on your mind, but also things like poor eating, being overweight, and alcohol. Those things affect the quality of sleep that you're able to attain. And even you know, sleeping pills, prescription sleeping pills, don't necessarily give you the quality of sleep, particularly the REM sleep that you need. And so... The best is really to try and uh, get natural sleep at least seven hours a night. And when you've missed a night of, of good sleep, to try and make it up if possible. The other area, I mentioned exercise that can be taken in small bits. Another area of research which seems to be showing benefits is the so-called power naps. You know, those little sleep periods during, during the day when you maybe have 10 or 15 minutes to just put your feet up, turn the lights off and close your eyes and try and get some rest and recovery, if you have it, may also be of benefit. So the two aspects of it are, are again, that variety and recovery during the day, but obviously mostly you'll sleep at night if you can. So a lot of people um, seem to believe that it's okay to gain weight as you get older. And uh, I, I know, especially, you know, menopausal women speak about, well, what can you do? I'm menopausal. Um, can you talk about, you know, the, the weight gain with age? I, I don't think it's, I mean, I don't think it's acceptable, but I, there are physiological reasons for it. The hormonal changes, the fact that sometimes we have less energy and we're less active. But I honestly believe that much of it is due to poor lifestyle choices, not eating appropriately and not being physically active enough. Not only that, but I think that everybody understands or knows what their comfortable weight is. Now, you can look at it in various ways. You might look at a body mass index, a BMI. You might look at waist circumference. You might look at... Uh, you know, skin fold measurements and percentage of body fat. There's lots of ways to measure it. But I think we all know what our comfortable weight is. And when you're getting a couple of kilos over that, it starts becoming less comfortable. Now, either you just buy bigger trousers and you keep going with that, or you pull everything into line. Now, pulling everything into line means getting back to your target weight. Being your target weight will allow a lot of things to fall into place. 
it will allow your energy levels to be better, will pull your blood pressure into line, it would in all likelihood bring down your cholesterol and your sugar, uh, it will take the stress off your joints and make your joints less achy. So I really believe that trying to maintain your goal weight is very, very important. How do you do that? You need to weigh yourself. Everybody needs to know we're scared of the scale. Now, I'm not scared to put a patient on a, a scale or tell them to weigh themselves. I think it's very important. It's part of making that conscious effort to look after your weight. So again, my family thinks I'm a little obsessive, but I'm really not. It's just part of my routine. I have a scale at my gym entrance and I just get on it in the morning and I just know where I am. And I think it's an important part of understanding who you are and what you're trying to achieve is just to keep things in line. Now, I certainly acknowledge that over winter, I probably, you know, you eat a little bit more and you pick up a couple of kilos, but I'm also aware of hopefully how to pull that back into line. But I think it's a very good point that you raise is that I don't think it's acceptable to start picking up weight. And if you think of two kilograms in a year, that doesn't sound like much. But over 10 years, that's 20 kilograms. And then it's much harder to pull back. So I do believe that people need to try and keep to their goal weight as much as possible. Um, and if you're not sure what that is, then get to your doctor and work it out. But I think just logically, most people understand what they would like to be. And very often I have patients coming in and they say to me, oh, I'm tired or I've got sore knees or you know, this ankle doesn't want to get better. And I quite bluntly ask them what they weigh and what they would like to weigh. And if they're 15 kilos over, you know, I say to them, let me give you 15 kilos to carry around all day and see how your back or your knees feel. So maintaining your weight is very, very important and trying to get it back to where it should be will really help change how you feel. It will reduce your risk of injuries uh, and make your health, your chances of good health much better. But for some of us, it's much easier than for others. It, it really is like that. I think some people um, talk about how um, obesity is an inflammatory condition. And I think there are some people who, who whether it's in inflammation or poor gut health or whatever, uh, just do struggle to maintain their weight. And um, yeah, I think that's any, fair. I think it's people. fair that it's not always easy for everybody and everybody's physiology is slightly different. But it still comes back to the same principles, and that is trying to make the right food choices and being physically active. So if you are overweight and physically active, you still get significant benefits from that regular exercise. If you're overweight and you still make the right food choices, you get a lot of benefits. Exactly what you mentioned, reducing inflammation, maintaining good gut health. It still comes back to the same principles. And if you're finding that you're not losing weight despite making those good choices, then I think that's where maybe some medical help comes in. Firstly, to determine what the underlying potential cause is. Maybe there is a hormonal issue, you know, an underactive thyroid, other sort of hormones which are out of sync, low testosterone in males, etc. There are potentially causes which can then be treated. But I firmly believe the principles are the same for everybody. Uh, and if you stick to that, the benefits will, will come with it. 
just wish it felt as easy for everybody as it as it sounds but yes um I, you know i think taking responsibility for your weight is is a huge aspect of of staying healthy um john what would you say um what would you say would be the best um uh place to start if you're if you're really carrying a lot of weight and um and you haven't uh, exercised in years would you start with trying to lose weight or would you start with trying to exercise first because often the two produce a downward spiral you you have low energy because you're carrying excess weight and so you don't feel like exercising and so your consumption of energy is less and 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 can you suggest where people should think about starting if both are a problem i think the way to start it with some introspection and deliberate thought about what you want to achieve so you know i don't and part of that would be an understanding that there's no quick fix that it won't happen quickly and it doesn't have to happen quickly and that's fine i mean you know starting to set targets of two kilos a week or this or that i think starts putting unnecessary pressure i think starting with the understanding that better food choices and regular physical activity will benefit you even if you can't see those benefits necessarily, particularly in the beginning, is a good starting point. And then to determine how you're going to implement both of those. You know, the food choice thing, uh, I think for many people can be achieved if they, if they strategize and understand what they're trying to do and what the good and bad foods are that they want to, you know, include and leave out of their diet. The exercise is really about what appeals to you, what you can do. So if you are overweight and you have arthritic knees, then probably starting on a walking program is not necessarily easy. But doing some resistance exercises and possibly cycling, swimming may be better for you. And then if you're not sure, is to look for help. So that might be formal uh, help in, the ter in terms of medical input. Or it might be, you know, some credible online source that might give you some sort of input, or it might be a friend who's done it. You know, I don't think being out alone is, is, is a nice feeling. So you want to know that there's some support basis there. People that have been through it or understand the benefits are will be there to help you. Um, but again, I come back to this issue of making it a con conscious choice. I do think at some stage, there needs to be some thought process and there has to be a degree of responsibility and planning for it. And another question around uh, the barrier to exercise and, and healthy living that I hear a lot in my treatment room is busyness syndrome. I think people have, especially since COVID, work has bled into their home life and and people have got into the habit of working 14, 15 hours a day. And, and yeah, there is no time for exercise. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you've talked about peppering your day with movement, but uh, yeah, it is, it is a, a problem. I think people are really encountering. It is, I mean, people are busy, uh, but that's where, you know, that's where that planning comes in. That's where the early morning session comes in. You're unlikely to be on a Zoom call at half past five or six in the morning. 
um, you know, it's possible, but probably you're not. And maybe that's the time for you. Uh, or maybe, you know, if there's a break in the middle of the day, that's the time for you. But again, I think it comes down to planning. If we wanted to, you know, or we didn't want to, you know, none of us would exercise. We would just, you know, we could just, just sit and be busy or be preoccupied with other things. Uh, but I think that if you think about it and you understand the benefits and also perhaps strategize that you're going to be more productive in the rest of your day, have more energy and be able to focus. Think of all those benefits that we spoke about, about regular physical activity. It is going to make you want to exercise. And once you get into that routine, as you know, uh, you don't really want to break it. If someone takes it away from you, then you complain. Um, so again, I think you can. we can all come up with excuses uh, for poor lifestyle choices, but if you focus and you actually plan for it, it actually becomes quite doable. Most of us can find half an hour somewhere to do it. I know some of the busiest executives in this town and they will not let their exercise session go. You know, whether it's a boxing class or it's there three times a week uh, on the tennis court or squash court uh, or their gym session, they do factor it in. So, you know, some of the busiest people find time to exercise. Uh, and I think most people can, can find the type of, the amount of time that we're talking about. And... Uh I want to know what you think um, about over-exercising. You know, there are many people, especially in, uh, in Joburg, who are absolutely passionate about cycling, uh, who are cycling with the young guys and, and really going for it at a really high intensity. Do you think there's a downside to overdoing uh, the exercise as you get a little bit older? Or um, do you think you can just listen to your body and just go for it. Um, I think listening to your body is good. I also think doing what your body's used to is important. So, you know, being 50 and deciding you're going to cycle four and a half hours on a weekend with the youngsters just because you have some time available is not a good idea. Having a good cycling pedigree and having done it for 20 years and being able to do it is fine. You'll probably out-pedal some of the youngsters. So, I think it's all about what you're used to and how you've built up to that level. I do think, as we mentioned, rest, recovery, and variety are important in that process. Um, I think if you really are exercising, and the opposite of what we said, that you actually exercise so much you find a, you can't find time to do other things, that's problematic. I mean, there are issues related to some people who are obsessive about their exercise and that sometimes, you know, also paired with eating disorders or disordered eating. So, yeah, one has to be very conscious about the sense of balance uh, and also about adaptation, doing what you're used to. So can you over-exercise? Absolutely. You can fatigue, you can get overtrained, you can become injured. Um, and certainly, I think some people lose perspective. I mean, we all know people that have done 28, 30 comrades, and I just think, well, you know, is that something that's really beneficial to you? Can we not do other things? I'm not, I don't have the answer. I'm just thinking that sometimes that sense of balance is lost. 
So yes, you can over-exercise, but if you stick to the guidelines, I think you're going to be fine. Have you got any nuggets that you'd like to leave with us, John? Because uh, you've given us so much food for thought, but any extra nuggets that we could take away? Yeah, I don't I don't think there's I don't think there's a nugget of gold out there that solves everybody's problems. I mean, I, I just think the issue around physical activity is so important and healthy lifestyle choices are so important that in this day and age where there is a lot of stress around that there are um, you know difficulties in terms of creating a healthy environment, the choices you make are critical. And two of them in terms of dedicating time every day to do some physical activity where you raise your heart rate and you're a little bit out of breath and having the right foods as much as you can in your, in your cupboard and fridge and eating a little bit less of them are two critical interventions which will really change the way you feel and will change the quality of your life and reduce your risk of, uh, of poor outcomes. So I don't, I don't have any magic golden nuggets. It's just a question of giving it some thought and making those choices. And the benefits will be there for everybody to reap. There is no magic wand, even from Professor John Patricius. It is just about slow, steady, wise choices over and over again, I think, is what you're saying. That's correct. I and mean, it doesn't mean that every now and again you can't do something out of the ordinary or push yourself a little bit or give yourself a treat or whatever. In fact, that makes the journey more exciting. So that's fine. But it's the general, it's the general trend and lifestyle choices that ultimately will get you through. Um, so, you know, I, I just think people need to, I, I use the analogy of brushing your teeth. It's to say we wouldn't dream of not cleaning our teeth a couple of times a day. It's part of our routine. It's what we do the beginning and the end of every day. And it should be the same with these other lifestyle choices that just become part of your routine. Because if you don't do them, you feel awful. John, thank you so much for all of this uh, wisdom and information and sharing the research with us and your research especially. And uh, I really hope that um, you know people will listen to what you've said. If they want to get hold of you, what's the best way to, for people to get in touch with you? Um, I think you know you can Google and my contact details are there. And I've also got the easiest uh, email address in the world. It's jpat, J-P-A-T, at MWeb. So that's, that's very easy. And then I'm usually quite good at responding. jpat at mweb.co.za. Brilliant. Thank you so, so much for your time. And I wish you a really great evening further. Good. And thanks for this show and for everything you do to promote uh, health and wellness, Sue. Thank you for having me. Thank you, John. Thank you for listening to this episode of Your Route to Wellbeing. I hope that this episode has been really useful and helpful for you. Thank you to the team who brought it into being and to our special guests who so generously gave of their time and their insights. Please remember to share it with all in your network who you think it can help. Sharing help that really helps is what makes the world go round.